Hello and welcome back to Under a Rock with Brielle and Gerlin. Hey. Hello. So we are talking about Avatar, The Last Airbender. This episode, we are speaking on episodes. 17, 18, 19. There you go. Exactly. All right. So let's jump into it. Okay. So book one, episode 16, The Deserter. Yes. So Aang, Sokka, and Katara are traveling through, I assume it's the Fire Nation. Mm -hmm. um, And they see that there is a festival in a town and they're really excited to go. And we learn that Aang is considered a wanted criminal. Which is exciting. Right. <laughs> like. <laughs> Aw, our little criminal. Aw. He doesn't know any better. Yeah. <laughs> but what's cool is that on the board um, under Aang, you see the blue spirit mask. So mm-hmm. that's kind of cool that like Zuko's gotten in trouble with the law too. <laughs> but they don't know Zuko yet. No, they don't know it's Zuko no. yet. <laughs> and then you have John John and you also have Jay too. Jay's on the bottom, bottom left. Wait, who? Um, is his name is Jay? The 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 one that came and saved the group. Oh, possibly. I didn't even notice that. Mm-hmm. Good. To, oh, that's cool. On the bottom left. It's like a little bit of foreshadowing before you get to the um to meet them. Right. Um, <laughs> I love this episode because it's just like Appa's such a good boy in this episode. <laughs> like when they tell him and Momo to hide, he like goes over to a bush and just like sits down what? in front of the bush. Like it's not <laughs> at all big enough to cover him. No. But he's like. Ah, if they can't see me, I can't see them. And vice versa. I'm good. <laughs> we stand for Appa. Yeah, he's a good boy. Uh, so they go to the festival. And I think this is really where the gang gets their first impressions of the Fire Nation, like outside of war mm-hmm. and what that means. And it's not like the prettiest picture. Like the city itself is beautiful and it's wonderful to see all these people celebrating. But like they start that propaganda young. Like, they really do. They start that propaganda young. I mean, that little, like, puppet show, that little Punch and Judy thing, mm-hmm. um, that's pretty violent. Like, yeah. granted, Punch and Judy shows, which is those, like, hand puppet shows, that's the originator of it, um, those were actually pretty violent, too. Like, a lot of, like, hitting each other with, like, boards of wood and bats and things like that. But even so, it's like, oh, my God, he just set him on fire and the kids are cheering. Like, Yay, Fire Lord! Yeah. <laughs> but, but that's... But that's what's so interesting. Like, the show, I think, is so good at kind of giving us examples of the way that a country spreads its doctrine. Um, And that involves propaganda at a very young age. That involves, you know, instilling this sense of, like, awe about their leader, you know, whether or not he or she deserves it. So it's kind of a little bit you know jarring because so far we've seen so much um like hatred and vitriol towards the fire nation because we've really only talked to people who have been hurt by them so to see all these little kids cheering the fire lord it's like oh man (laughs) this is oh if only they knew the truth yeah yeah exactly um and then Aang is like, oh, this could be really cool like i could meet a firebender and they could like be my teacher because i need to find one and they're like going through the crowd and there's like a little like magic stunt show kind of thing. And the guy asks Katara to come on up on stage. <laughs> and as someone with like anxiety, I, oh God, 
I was like, ooh, oh no. Like, I, I feel you, Katara. I feel bad for you. <laughs> the way she turned around, like, even though you couldn't see her face under the mask, it's just it's just the, the body language of she just, like, <laughs> yeah. she is pulled up. Yeah, she is not. She's not feeling no, it. not at all. Um, And the guy's doing a trick, and it looks really scary, and Aang freaks out and, like, uses his airbending to push the fire away. And one, that's sweet. That's nice of you, Aang. But also, like... Has Aang never been to a like a magic show before? Like, no, it doesn't seem like it. How did he not like realize that like Katara was never in danger? Did he really think that that guy was going to like maim a person in front of a crowd? Like, <laughs> I tell you, in this episode, Aang really shows his age. He does. He shows he his really age a does. lot. He really, really does. It carries through throughout the whole episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was watching it and I was like, "Hey, you don't know how magic tricks work, all right?" Yeah. <laughs> And then he starts hand boning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the music. Ding, 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 yeah. Ding, ding. I love that. That was so funny. It's so stupid, but it's so funny. <laughs> and then there's a chase and the sky saves Aang, Sokka and Katara. And he tells them that he works with a man called the deserter. He was a general or an admiral or a whatever right. in the army and uh well, i think these guys listen to us if that's how they talk um <laughs> and oh. right <laughs> they did that and i was like that's what we did, what we did. <laughs> they retroactively copied us um yeah. <laughs> so yeah so he works with this guy he was in the army and he left because he was just really unhappy with the way that the fire nation was hurting everyone else and Aang is like, oh, great, he can be my firebending teacher. And the guy's like, yeah, but don't bother him right now. And Aang's like, I don't care. And he like goes, goes right into first. it. Aang, he... Again, this is, I, I don't know. He really showed his age. Like, he's straight up a 12-year-old, just mm-hmm. very impatient, very... He wants to get to the point. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just... Ugh, I just kept rolling my eyes and I just wanted to like punch this little kid. I was like, <laughs> why are you so impatient? Why are you so ready just to do this and do that? Like, mm. slow your roll, calm down, listen to the wise old master. Mm-hmm. He's telling you to relax. He's telling you, it's just when when John John was telling Aang to breathe and be patient, and then Aang comes storming back into the tent, but like, I've been breathing for hours now and john john's like you want to stop breathing <laughs> it's like hey just ugh, just i just wanna yeah see this, this is why i don't have kids because <laughs> I, will, I will lose my shit but yeah i mean on one hand i kind of understand because ang is on a deadline <laughs> but it's also just you know so i i get that but also it's just you know he he's he's a 12 year old kid he's impatient in fact i think impatience is one of his biggest like weaknesses because this is not the first and it's not the last time that his impatience ends up like you know screwing him over and um hurting him um he i think because he was so adept at airbending he was made a spiritual master much earlier than a lot of other people because he takes to other bending forms so quickly and so well you know i think he might have a little bit of an inflated self sense of self, which, you know, like I said, it's understandable considering everything else. But right. I think he, 
you know, he sees how good he is with airbending and he sees how he's really getting good at waterbending. So he's probably like, oh, well, then earth and firebending is going to be easy, too. I'll learn the basics real quick and then I'll learn how to shoot fire blasts. <laughs> like he doesn't realize that he needs to give time to each discipline. But unfortunately, he doesn't really have that time. No. You know, um, I also think Zhang Zhang is very wise. Um, he's an excellent firebender. He understands that fire comes from the breath, just like um, Iroh. But I do also think he is not the right teacher for Aang. He may be a good teacher, but he's just not the right teacher for Aang. And that's also where there's a, like a communication clash. Right. Um, I feel like if, if Zhang Zhang approached things differently, he might have gotten through to Aang better. But unfortunately, it just they were not meant to be teacher and student. No. And that's okay. You know, yeah. I mean, not everybody's going to work together. Because I think with Zhang Zhang, he, he, he has such a pessimistic view of firebending. And again, it's understandable. He was in the army. He saw the devastation that fire can bring. But his viewpoint that fire is this crazy uncontrollable thing and it only brings pain and it only brings destruction and like it, it's not fun it's it's you know hard i i think that's just not the way to get through to ang no Aang needed someone who sees the light and the beauty and the life of fire which you know he gets eventually you know it happens but i think that's another reason why like zhang zhang and ang don't work no <clears throat> definitely I will say it's really funny that like Roku had to come in and be like, you will teach him. Stop being a jerk. Like <laughs> That was a, um, even, even today. So as, as a kid, when I watched this, mm -hmm. that confused the heck out of me. Cause like, is this happening in real time? Like this is angle aware of this happening. And still to this day, it's still a little confusing because mm. obviously Aang had no idea that this happening. Cause when John John was like, Yes, I will teach you fire bending. And it's like, you will? Great. Like, as if, like, he didn't know what happened. Mm -hmm. So, um, I feel as if it was kind of hinted that John John didn't have everything together upstairs. So, I mean, that's possible. <laughs> I don't know if that was an illusion that he just had on his own or. Um, <clears throat> I think it might have been very similar to what happens with Aang with Avatar Kyoshi later on, where, like, <laughs> Roku embodies him. Um, it, I guess it just in this particular instance, Aang kind of like blacked out for a second and then came to. I guess that might that have been sense. what it was like. Because that's what it seemed like to me. Mm. Like Roku just embodied Aang really quick to say, hey, teach him or I'm going to mess you up. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. I didn't yeah. think about that. Yeah. Um. Also, something that I had a question about. Does Aang have to learn the elements in order? Does he have to do it that way? Like, um, is that a rule? Kinda. It's, 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 um, it seems like a thing that every avatar does. Like, isn't, so, whatever element you're born into, mm -hmm. you have to follow that cycle. Oh, so, okay. if it's air, then water comes, then earth, then fire, right? Then fire. Yeah, water, earth, fire for Aang, yeah. And, um, cause same, same thing, cause once we see in book three, Roku did the same thing since he was fire. What came after that? He had to learn air. He had to oh, learn okay. air and then earth and then water was the last thing. He, mm. It just seems, I don't, I don't know if it's like a set in stone rule, but they, they kind of mm. make it seem as if it is. All right. No, I was just wondering, like, mm. you know, Zhang Zhang said that and I was like, 
Is that like the rule? Does he have to do it that way? Because then it also makes sense why Aang wasn't good at firebending. Like he couldn't, you know, get, manage to figure it out because he wasn't literally ready to learn. Right. They they even said that Jean Jean saw Aang walking into the camp and was like, oh, he's not ready. Like mm-hmm. he just just the way Aang walked, he was able to see that mm-hmm. he doesn't have any discipline. He didn't master water. He didn't master earth. Yeah. So. Why is he here? Yeah. No. Zhang Zhang decides to teach Aang. He teaches him to breathe and he tries to teach him to like keep the fire going in his hand. And Aang gets a little too cocky and starts playing and messing around, which he shouldn't be doing. And he burns Katara. Mm. He burns Katara. And it's not a good time. No. <laughs> and um, Sokka, like... Man, Sokka was ready to really, he was mad. He was, he was ready to like beat up Aang. You know, he was not messing around. He was not playing around. Um, he was ready to kill that kid. Like he, yeah. you know, which like, that's good brother. That's good brother dynamics. But like, oh man. Um, and I think, you know, that whole situation, I think really taught Aang the the danger that his impatience causes right you know um again it's not like a soup it doesn't really stick that hard but (laughs) you know i think seeing katara someone that he cares so deeply about in pain caused by him i think was a bit of a wake-up call that like you know this isn't fun and games ang you know we're we're really in this this is serious you know but if one good thing comes out of it, Katara learns that she has healing abilities, right. which is really, really cool. Um, and she's able to fix her hands so that they're not burnt anymore. So that that's cool. I mean, just the, just the idea that Katara can heal is like so beneficial to the team. Like, I'm sure, <laughs> you know, after all this, anytime they get a little scrape or cut, they just be like, Katara, can you fix my boo-boo? You know? <laughs> Um, I remember that moment really sticking out to me mm-hmm. uh, first viewing it. Because just, just the way Katawa yells and her her scream and like her, her crying. Mm-hmm. I remember watching the TV. I'm just like, dang, Aang, you fucked up. Yeah. Like, you really fucked up. Yeah. And then Sokka's reaction, you burn my sister, tackles Aang's the tackle Aang to the ground yeah that that was that was oof yeah. I was like oh Aang like how and 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 this shows that cause the way Aang uh, reacted to it how he was being really dramatic like as kids are yeah. they're really dramatic he's like I would never do this ever again like mm-hmm. cause they they decide being hard on themselves mm-hmm. you know um that's how that's how I felt um watching it as a child Mm -hmm. like i was putting myself into ang's shoes Mm -hmm. and i was thinking the same thing i was like oh yeah like this firebending thing like no like this is not it yeah like i don't know how you're gonna be able to defeat the fire lord without it but like this is not it like i was just thinking that along with him i was like never again like don't because you burn katara and um and I had a little crush on Katara. Yeah, of course. I was like, oh, you, you burned her. She's so pretty and you burned her. 
<laughs> we're never doing this shit again. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah that moment was very hard. Mm. You know, I, but I think it was, you know, a valuable lesson for Aang. Yeah. You know, I really do. Uh, and then we see that Zhao is following the gang and he realizes where they are and who they're, um, you know, with. And <laughs> I just want to mention a quote. So Zhao, I believe, is talking to Zhang Zhang. And Zhang Zhang's like, oh, well, he's the avatar. Like, you have to, you know, treat him, you know, more cautiously. And Zhao goes, I think I can handle a child. And I was like, really, Zhao? Really? You think you can handle a child? Because every single time that you've managed to capture Aang, he's disappeared. And literally every time that you've gone up against Zuko, you failed. So I don't think you can handle a child, actually. I think you're terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where this like inflated sense of confidence comes from. I'd like a little bit because, I mean, clearly working for you he has a very delusional state of yeah reality. about like what he's actually able to do yeah what his power is um i also think it's really interesting that zhang zhang was uh zhao's master um because again you see you know zhang zhang just getting these students that have no patience and have no sense of respect for firebending with ang he just wanted to get to like the cool blasty blasty stuff right. and zhao was a little bit the same way too and i think ang realizes that you know i think when he fights with zhao on the boats i think he understands like what his impatience might lead to like if he continues to be the way that he is about bending in any respect not just with fire bending he's gonna end up like zhao right you know fighting so hard and just shooting bliss that he doesn't even realize he's burning his own boats you know because that's the thing too zhao is impatient as well mm -hmm. he's impatient and he is very like conceited when it comes to his own power and his confidence and it comes back to you know bite him in the butt and i think fighting him ang realizes that that like oh Zhang Zhang was right and you know Zhao is a failure and if I continue like like the way that I am I'm gonna end up like him too mm -hmm. you know the um when Zhao first comes and Zhang Zhang is uh with Katara and he reflects the blast and everything mm -hmm. what an impressive an impressive showcase of fire bending yeah. in Zhang Zhang's part he made that huge wall of fire like wow yeah like, really showing how like he why he has the title as a master oh yeah because wow like you, we haven't seen firebending like that ever in this show up until now yeah you know and that, that was that was just amazing and the fact that um zhao was so calm he was like don't worry man my old master he doesn't fight anymore he just kind of like goes through the fire the mm -hmm. firewall like he just knows that yeah zhang zhang's not a fighter anymore so like don't just relax like yeah <laughs> i got this yeah uh so yeah so ang beats zhao burns all of his boats and then he Sokka, katara are able to get away and uh katara lets them know that she has healing powers and Sokka's like well, why didn't you heal any <laughs> of my cuts and boo-boos when we were kids <laughs> the one that sounded so painful well, i mean they, they all sounded painful but no, not the thumb. The no. thumb sounds painful. Yeah. But the fact that he fell into a fryer pan-ish kind of thing. 
Disney said that when he fell into um the uh, a fire thing. Oh, I. That was the is first... that what it was? I thought they said briar, like like a, th- a thorny bush. Oh, that's what is he that said. What they... I, I don't. No, I think you're right. I th- yeah, that's what I thought it was. Oh, I, that I... she said like he fell into a a briar. Okay. bush or whatever and i was like oh that's painful i thought he said fryer i was like how are you still alive <laughs> <laughs> okay that makes that makes he more just sense fell face first into bubbling oil he's <laughs> right? fine though right i was like you should be all burned up and crispy <laughs> well no that makes more sense okay yeah. all right i just love that he had a fish hook in his thumb and he tried to get it out with another fish, another fish hook <laughs> Saka, no. oh, Saka, the logic <sighs> oh man okay so yeah is there anything else that you want to Talk about with the deserter. Um, just a few things that were just a little funny, and a few um things that uh caught my attention. Mm-hmm. One, Scott Menville. Mm-hmm. Um, he does a lot of voices on the show. He he does uh Robin on Teen Titans. Yes, he does a lot of voices on yeah, the show. Yeah, he every like other episode. I'm like, oh, there's Robin. And they, <laughs> there he is again. And uh, just just a little funny detail of um. When they went to go get the mask, and so, uh, Katara has her mask on, looks at Aang. Aang has the frowny. Yeah. <laughs> Sokka has the happy. And it's funny how when she removes the mask, um, Aang is smiley, and then she puts a smiley face on Aang, and then Sokka's frowny. She puts the frowny mask on <laughs> Sokka. It's like, just damn. Yeah. Like, Aunt Wu's prediction, at least only for book one. Yeah. Aunt Wu's prediction of like, you're like you're gonna go through a lot of pain and misery and it's gonna be self-inflicted yeah it's like why is everyone shitting on Saka? because <laughs> jean jean was like even that that bubbling idiot over there knows to stay quiet and focus it's yeah. like why does everyone shit on Saka in this book bro yeah. well you know i think it's i think it's kind of because they don't realize what he's capable of and Not we yet. find that out later but uh you know but also like he invites it on himself he kind of yeah. gives off that impression not even in book one i feel like all the books sometimes he gives off that impression of being like a bit of an idiot and mm. you know kind of a grump you know which that's his personality that's who he is you know yeah. uh um oh if anyone is um is interested in the fire flakes that Saka eats there's a youtube channel called binging with babish and he actually like made them really he made like an interpretation of the fire flakes it was a really really cool episode it's like this fried bit of like peppery dough and stuff mm. it's um it's a cool episode if anyone's interested in like trying the fire flakes after seeing Sokka burn his mouth on them <laughs> that was i was wondering like are they hot in temperature or hot as in spicy i think they're hot as in spicy spicy mm. okay then i would definitely love that <laughs> and um the one last just little tiny funny thing was when the fire nation soldiers were reporting the Zhao, <laughs> and it was just like um yeah the avatar got away but the festival went out without uh went on without a hitch <laughs> And crime has been down. And Xiao just like, I'm not interested in your local crime rates. <laughs> I'm looking for the avatar. I just thought that was funny. That's all. I will say, it really is cool that Zhang Zhang as a person like exists. Mm-hmm. Like he deserted the Fire Nation army. Mm-hmm. Like he was able to get away, which is so amazing when you think about how intense the fire nation army and navy are like they are so strict and so disciplined and i'm sure that punishments are very very harsh so for him to be able to get away is impressive it really really is impressive 
And we kind of find out why later on in book three, why he was able to get away because he was part of the White Lotus. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty sure, um, you know, we know that Iroh is also part of the, right, of the White Lotus. Yeah, I'm sure he had something to do with it. Yeah, and probably assisted Jean Jean and, yeah. you know, and then Jay being the second person to desert. But no one cares about that. <laughs> you don't you don't get you don't get called a legend for being second. Oh, <laughs> no, for him. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. Oh, yeah. All right, so move on. To the Northern Air Temple. So this episode is really um, interesting in the beginning because what I said a few episodes ago about how Katara always has this like sense of optimism <laughs> and she's just always looking on the bright side and seeing the good of pe in, in people. Sokka literally calls her out on that. <laughs> like just was like, eh, I was right. <laughs> Are you calling me a liar? I'm calling you an optimist. Same difference. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Sokka, come oh, on. <laughs> But then Saga gets all giddy once he believes that there are airbenders. Yeah. It was like, what? They're flying and everything. And the way Aang calls them out, I mean, he basically, he said they have no spirit. Mm -hmm. But as in, as a black guy, mm -hmm. I was like, Aang basically just said, oh, they ain't got no soul. <laughs> they ain't got no soul. <laughs> like, you see, you see, like, it's, it's the equivalent of, um, you know, a gospel singer or R&B singer, like they're singing everything. And then you got someone in the audience who's also like a singer. They was like, yeah, they sound good and everything, but they ain't got no soul. <laughs> they, ain't got, they ain't got no spice to them. Mm -hmm. That's what Aang basically said. Yeah. So basically they come to the Northern Air Temple and they see that it's populated with a bunch of different people who are flying around and having fun. And we meet Teo. Yeah. And Teo is literally so cute. He's like a little angel baby. I love him so much. <laughs> He's a good and pure and wholesome little boy. I yeah. love him. I love Teo. Um, <laughs> and what's so great about this show, and we see it later with Toph, is the show does such a good job of handling disabilities. Mm. Like the show for Teo and for Toph and anyone else that we really meet who has a disability, it never shames the characters. It never insinuates that the characters are less than by other people, at least um because of their disabilities like yeah Teo has to use a wheelchair but it's never really brought up you know no one ever says like oh isn't that so sad he can't walk like they never really talk about it because it's it's not important it's it's just a part of him you know he has to use a wheelchair Katara can walk but his father you know made him all these cool inventions to make his life easier and I just really like the way that the show handles disabilities right. you know and then later on with Toph is is just like really well done. So I just wanted to say that. I think that this show has really good um, representation for disabilities. I mean, granted, I don't have a disability. So if someone who does watches the show and doesn't like the representation or thinks that they're doing it wrong or bad, that is totally valid. And they're allowed, you know, to have that opinion. But right. I guess from an outside perspective, I just really like the way that they handle that. And I agree with you. Mm -hmm. um, they, they show... That just because you have this uh, this disability, that doesn't, like you said, it doesn't make you any less of a person. Mm -hmm. If anything, it makes you unique. Mm -hmm. And they kind of they kind of give off the message of if you have a disability, find find a way where you could work with it. Find find a way where it gives you an advantage, mm -hmm. like how we see with Toph. Mm -hmm. Even though she's blind, she could see more than anyone else. Yeah. On the show later on, and with Teo, um, he can he could soar through 
this this guy and he has more soul than every anyone else that's flying and everything. Yeah, you know? Ang says so himself. He says that Teo has the spirit of the airbenders, yeah. which is so sweet. Um Yeah, and we we learned that Teo and his like family and all the people that he's with were refugees from the Fire Nation and they found this abandoned air temple and they kind of made it their home. And we meet his father, the mechanist. What is up with that dude's eyebrows? <laughs> <laughs> they all got like charred off. Yeah, I just they're so funny looking. Like, <laughs> what is up with his eyebrows? And we kind of get to see how like creative and intelligent the mechanist is for like building all these like elevators and like steam, you know, shoots and and you know, teaching every not teaching everybody, but like inventing the glider so that everybody can fly. They don't need to have airbending to do it. And it is really impressive. It is. Like just the amount of, you know, skill and creativity that the mechanist has. Um and we we get to see Sokka really come into mm. his own in this episode. And I love that. Like the mechanist calls Sokka a genius, and he's absolutely right. Sokka is a genius. Yes, he is. He is so smart in so many interesting ways, and his his creativity, his practicality, like, he just really shines in this episode, and I just love that. I really love that, because I think this is the moment that the shift happens with Sokka, where, like, before this, he was kind of seen as, like, the dumb comic relief, you know, oh, he's an idiot. Right. But after this, I feel like everyone really acknowledges how smart he is. Like, yeah, he still has his stupid moments. He has plenty of them. Um, and he's still the comic relief, which is great. But I feel like nobody underestimates him anymore after that, except for like the villains. Well, not even, honestly, for certain villains, um, which is great. Like, I, I'm just really happy that we get to see how intelligent and capable Sokka is. I love Sokka. And Katara. Katara is still kind of underestimations, but that's just sibling. Yeah, stuff. that's just being a sister. Like she even gave him some credit at, when they talked about the lid on the hot air balloon. She yeah. was like, that's actually kind of smart. Yeah. You know, I love that. Like Sokka literally invents a carbon monoxide detector. Like, <laughs> Rotten like, eggs. Yeah. Like it's a primitive design, but that's what a carbon monoxide detector does. Right. Like it lets you know when it's out and it's like. The, the carbon monoxide is like odorless and colorless. You can't see it. So that's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So basically Aang goes through the temple and he sees what happened to it through the mechanist, like what the mechanist did where he put all these pipes in the walls and he's like inventing all these like pulleys and levers and things. And he is understandably upset because his home well maybe not his exact home but his home has been kind of destroyed in the pursuit of this technology and i really want to talk about that because i feel like this episode while i do like the message that it gives at the end i feel like this episode is really dismissive of ang's feelings and his anger and his grief mm. because and this is me, I guess, projecting a little bit, but as a Jewish person, as a person who is from a culture that has been continually beaten down and, you know, kind of picked away at, as someone from a culture who, as someone from a people whose culture has been continually stolen and destroyed and hidden, 
the fact that nobody really cares that the mechanist has destroyed this sacred place really bothers me. Mm. Like, I understand that it might be a little too dark for a kid's show to really get into that, but the mechanist, like, pushed pipes through this beautiful artwork, and he's making ugly black steam come out of statues, and he literally, in a temple, is creating weapons for the very nation that destroyed the people who used that temple. Like, and I'm sure other people from marginalized cultures may agree with me or feel the same way, but like, as someone who, there are still artifacts within the Jewish culture that are gone and lost because the Nazis took them and destroyed them. The Vatican in Rome has menorahs, and they're not giving them back anytime soon. You know, they've claimed them as you know, historical artifacts, but we can't get them, Mm. you know? So for Aang to be a little sad, a little upset, and then just, oh, move on, I'm good. Like, again, I understand that, like, to really get into it might be a little too dark for a kid's show or a little too deep. It just, it just bothers me that no one acknowledges that, that no one really says to the mechanist, hey, what you did is wrong. And I don't, and maybe I'm misremembering, but I don't think the mechanist ever apologizes. Like, I think he says like, oh, I should never have made those Fire Nation weapons. And oh, that was a mistake. I'm sorry, Teo. But like, I don't think he ever apologizes to Aang for what he did to Aang's culture. And like, on one hand, I understand where the mechanist is coming from. He comes to this temple, this, you know, Northern Air Temple. No one's there. No one's been there for at least 60 years. And as far as he knows, no one is coming back. I also doubt that he had any education about the airbenders. It's not like the Fire Nation would destroy them and then be like, oh, and here's all about their culture. So <laughs> he might not have even known. I mean, he, he when he tells the story of coming to the temple, it reads very much like someone like discovering hieroglyphics. Like they just don't know anything about the culture. So I understand him maybe not understanding the importance of those pieces of art or the temple. But I can't help but think if I went somewhere that was deserted and I saw all these beautiful pieces of art depicting people in robes and I found this door that was like locked and could only be opened by airbending and like, I don't know, maybe I'd think twice about just shoving pipes through the walls like maybe i'd be a little more cautious and maybe i think hey maybe it's important to not destroy these pieces of art like maybe i'm crazy but you know so yeah this episode just like it really like rubs me the wrong way with the way that that particular plot point is handled you know well maybe i'm just being sensitive maybe i'm projecting but you have all the right to feel the way you do mm-hmm. um this is going a little bit more into philosophy right now mm-hmm. but as as people as humans we are naturally selfish yeah like just by nature so uh, you asking like there's this door that i can't open maybe i should stay away from it i'm pretty sure he's not thinking that because all he's thinking is i just lost my wife mm-hmm. um my infant son has been severely injured Mm. i have no home 
you know, I'm just here with all these people and I just stumble upon a place that can potentially be our new home. He's not thinking, oh, where I did pick up on that when he said he came and no one was home. In the back of my head, rewatching it now, mm-hmm. obviously not as a kid, but rewatching it now, in the back of my head, I was like, did, were there not any skeletons around? Because they were at the Southern Air Temple. I, I guess not. That's that's a little if Or if they were, I mean, they're probably, skeletons. So it's got to be at least like a long time for them to be skeletons and not like human bodies anymore. Right. Um. So I'm... I'm I'm pretty sure, like, it just it just didn't cross his mind because it's just like, well, they're gone and we're suffering. Mm-hmm. So he does, h- him and Aang kind of do have a back and forth. And I, I do believe it's probably, like, what you were you, you were wanting more of. Yeah. Uh, obviously, they had to simplify it for children yeah. when they were just going, um, when they were just saying, when he was using nature... As, as a defense to be like yeah. oh nature changes and then Aang goes well nature knows when to stop yeah and then he's just like okay well you're right there so I, I believe that was probably the dialogue there to like uh, yeah but it was simplified yeah you know for the- and and like I said like I don't I don't think it's bad that the mechanist and Teo and all those people live there like he's absolutely right no one was there and they were refugees like I, that's fine I just you know I just just the casual desecration of Aang's culture just bothers me in this episode. I understand, yeah. You know, um, and I just wanted to talk about it. Like I said, I, I mean, there's nothing to be do- done about it now. The show is 10 years old and, yeah. you know, but yeah, it just, you know, it just, you know, bothered me as, as the person who I am, mm. you know. I mean, it's definitely a lot. You know. Um, anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so we learn that the mechanist is a traitor a little bit, and he is making weapons for the Fire Nation. Dun dun dun. Ooh. Dun dun dun. Big reveal. Yeah, and Teo is understandably upset, and the mechanist seeing what his, you know, his ideas and what his machines are doing, decides to stand up against the Fire Nation. And they're like, well, we're going to, you know, destroy you all. So see you in 10 minutes. And (laughs) And Sokka and the Mechanist come up with the war balloon with the little lid on the top. It's it's, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And they, you know, have all these like cool like bombs to throw down like slime and like powder, like cherry bomb kind of things, which is really cool. Um, It is like... It's really interesting to watch the battle between the Fire Nation and the people in the Northern Air Temple because the, the weapons are really cool, actually. Like those things that climb up the um, up the cliff, those are cool. Like yeah. those are really, really cool. The way that they work where they, you know, shoot the thing and they have a rope and they can just climb up and the, the inner mechanism can spin so that if it gets flipped over, they just like that's really clever. Like the mechanist is really like innovative like yes. that's cool mm-hmm. i mean it stinks that you know all those weapons belong to the fire nation but right. you know <laughs> what you gonna do um you know also i can't help but be like so the fire nation was like we're gonna kill you and your son what do you have to offer and the mechanist was like i offered them my skills and i was like i would not have done that 
I would not have told them that I have these skills. I would have been like, I'm a laborer. I can, I don't know, build stuff. Because then you're just like, I don't know, hammering a nail into some, you know, metal to make a bow. Like you're not doing, like the mechanist is like, he's a genius, but he's also such a fucking idiot. Mm. Like what he's doing is so actively bad. And I don't, and I, he knows that it's bad, but he keeps doing it. Like he had so many opportunities to not do what he's doing. Like he did not have to tell the Fire Nation that he was a brilliant inventor. He really didn't. He could have just said, oh, I, I'm good with my hands. I, I can build stuff. And then like, yeah, he would have been working for the Fire Nation, but he wouldn't have been actively making them this incredible like warfare. Like, man, what an idiot. Like. <laughs> Like, oh my god. I mean, to to his um <laughs> to his defense, I'm it was probably like a life uh, life or death situation. Yeah, he might not have been like thinking clearly. Off the, yeah, off off the off the dome. He was just like I, I could create for you guys. You know, because he was just probably just really afraid for Teo and yeah. his people didn't want to die. Um could he could he have done something differently? Yes. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> everyone uh reacts differently under pressure. Mm. Yeah. But uh, through the ingenuity of Sokka, mm. they managed to basically blow up the mountain that surrounds the air temple and get the Fire Nation to leave so all the people there are safe, which is nice. And so on the flip side of that, the the mechanist, he can't react well under pressure, but Sokka mm-hmm. is that warrior mentality. Yeah. The fact that, you know... um. The mechanist, he's just all like, this is, what are you doing? This is the only fuel source we got. And Saga's like, this is the only bomb we got right yeah. now. Yeah. Like, we got we to gotta do this right now. Like, he, he got that warrior mentality. It's, it's war. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, we got to use everything that we have. You know, chucks that thing down uh, down the, the gas. The gas, like, leak, basically, mm-hmm. yeah, to, to blow it up. Boom. So cool. Honestly. So, so cool. Um, and then they're going down. Yeah. We're going down. That part is so hilarious. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like the celebrating is like, we did it. Yay. We're going down. <laughs> and then Aggie comes by and, and saves them. And everyone's everyone's good. Everyone's happy. And then we le- realize that the war balloon fell and the fire nation found it. So now, now they can reverse engineer. This is where I 100% agree with you by saying the Meg, this is a fucking idiot. Yeah. Because... <laughs> He turned, he turned knowing that the balloon is down there. You couldn't tell anyone? Yeah, like, right. Like, hey, before we start celebrating, we should go down and destroy that balloon. Yeah. Just in case. But no, he just lets that sit in his head and let everyone celebrate as if everything's all good. Yeah. And then we see him in fucking book two during the invasion. Yeah. And he sees the balloons. He's just like, my creation. It's like, you, you <laughs> knew that it was down there. Why are you so surprised? Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Oh man. Um and then the episode ends with Aang telling Teo that while they are not true airbenders, they have the spirit of the airbenders and they should be allowed to live there, mm. you know, because they are kind of creating their own culture and that they, you know, deserve a safe place to live and you know, that Aang has come to terms with the fact that his people are gone, but their views and their culture don't have to be, mm. which is sweet. And that's what I mean. Like, it is 
I do like the way that this ends, you know, because it's not like Teo's fault. And if anyone, I think, inhabits the spirit of the airbenders like Aang, it's Teo. Right. You know, he has the lightness of spirit. He has the, the you know, kind of humor and jokingness mm-hmm. that the airbenders have. You know, he's just a sweet kid. And, you know, I wonder actually, is this where the air acolytes start? Because I know that they're air acolytes in Korra. Is that where they start? Like... No. I don't really know much about them. I just know that they're a thing. It starts in the comics. Oh, okay. In the graphic novels. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, which episode? Not episode. I, uh, it was the... It was the graphic no- novel where we... Um, I think it was Smoke Smoke and Mirrors or something like that. That was the name of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, it was surrounded by a spirit and a- Avatar Yang Cheng. Mm-hmm. Yang Chen, Kim, if I pronounced that correctly. Yeah, Yang Chen. And we see these air acolytes and Aang basically... Well, maybe... Isn't that... I'm sorry. That's not <laughs> the graphic novel where we're introducing to them. We're introduced to them in the earlier one. But in this one, Aang takes them under his wing and shows them the way of the air nation and oh, the cool. airbenders by um uh by celebrating yang ching festival mm-hmm. um which is a a thing that they have to do to keep the the spirit that she appeased at bay because mm-hmm. if they don't then he gets all angry but yeah, yeah. but yeah that, that's where the oh, air okay. acolytes come from i was from. just wondering mm. yeah i was just wondering um yeah <sighs> yeah. Anything else to say about this episode? Um. Again, just some funny tidbits. Mm-hmm. When the they never said what he was. When the Fire Nation General Admiral, I don't know what he was. Commander. They don't. I don't think they gave him a name. No, they didn't. When he comes up <laughs> up the elevator, and Aang comes out, he was like, "You are not getting anything." And he's just like, "Well, if I don't get anything, then." This temple's coming down. It's gonna be on you. And it's like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and like <laughs> blows. And it's just, I don't know, just the uh, the tiny detail of him going back down the elevator. How yeah. coming up, his hair is all neat. Coming down, his hair is all ravel because of the air. Yeah. <laughs> and blows on him. I just thought that was hilarious. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And those little like hermit crab things are so oh, cute. That, They're so cute. That was a good um analysis or uh, analogy mm-hmm. analogy yeah analogy the, analogy that was a good one when he was saying how like a hermit crab you guys came into an empty shell and made it your, that yeah. was good that was cool yeah exactly like yeah. that is a, a sweet i think message um and they're cute yes they are <laughs> i also love when katara is flying and eggs like oh keep your mouth closed you don't swallow bug and then she's flying <laughs> and she goes ah ooh, bug bug that was a bug, that was a bug. <laughs> hilarious um i think that's it okay Okay. All right. Now, <sighs> we're finally here. Yeah. The North Pole. Yeah. We're at the Northern Water Tribe. Again, I don't remember watching this stuff in order, mm-hmm. but I do remember watching this for the first time and, and was like, oh, holy crap, they're here. Mm-hmm. They're like, they're finally here because it was titled The Water, the water Bending Master. Mm-hmm. And then the following episodes are The North Pole and everything. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you see the episode, the water bending master. I'm just thinking, oh, like maybe they ran into another character when they're flying. And, you know, um, Sokka's complaining, saying that he doesn't he's not the one to complain, even though he complains all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, saying how like they haven't found it, this and that. I was like, as a child, I was like, oh, wait, what? Like we're here. And then the waterbenders come. And I was like, we're here. Like we're finally here at the North Pole. Like it, it just felt like um, 
because obviously the the whole book was leading up to this point. Mm-hmm. I just remember being really giddy as a oh, child. Oh, good, yeah. Like, oh, like wait, wait, yeah, it was it was great. Yeah, it's um, it's really cool to see, like, the a water tribe at its peak. Mm-hmm. You know, because as of right now, the only water tribe that we're familiar with is the Southern Water Tribe, which is so small and primitive in in some of their things. So to see the Northern Water Tribe with its like huge like homes and buildings and the waterways and like all these waterbenders working like it's really impressive so this is where it gets a little fucked up mm-hmm. because we find out why in book three at, uh, why the southern water tribe was so small yeah and didn't have as many waterbenders because the fire nation was coming and killing them all or imprisoning them mm-hmm. where do i understand north pole south pole like it's hard to communicate but still like no one thought to, hey, we do have a sister tribe in the South Pole. Maybe one of us should go down and check on them. Well, no? No one thought that? I'm sure someone did. But it seems to me that the Northern Water Tribe has taken an isolationist stance in the war. Like, I, I'm pretty sure that the second that Sozin was like, hey, I'm coming to destroy everyone. The Northern Water Tribe just, like, closed everything on up. And they were like... Nope, we got to protect ourselves. Who cares about anyone else? Um, you know, so they were isolationist, but at what cost? Their their sister tribe was basically decimated. Yeah. And, you know, again, this idea of walls. They have a huge wall that surrounds their tribe. And obviously, from a tactical standpoint, it's good to have a wall in your city. I mean, like Rome did it. England did it. Not England. London did it. It's very smart to have a wall around your city. Uh, it protects you. But walls, they keep stuff out, but they also keep stuff in. And I think this whole situation with everything that happens with Zhao and Aang, I think hopefully teaches the Northern Water Tribe that they can't be isolationists anymore. They have to be involved in the world. They can't just stay up at the pole keeping to themselves. They have to not only help their sister tribe, but they have to help the world. Well, no, because we find out later in Korra. That they still stayed. I I mean, Paco goes back down. Yeah, but I that's know just he does. because get grand grand again. Yeah. Um, but in Korra, we find out that like it's still a bit of a separation. Really? Oh, mm. that makes me sad. In in book two, and there was a bit of a civil war. Mm. Um, which they kind of fumbled, but that's not their fault. It's because Nickelodeon just that's a different yeah, conversation a for a different, different day. Yeah. But yeah, they just they kind of continue that separation, which is just oh, that really makes annoying. Me sad. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, so they come in, they come into the North Pole mm-hmm. and I got some, uh, Venice vibes. I mean, I know that obviously, um, the water tribes are based on Inuit culture, but like I got a bit of a Venice vibe with the streets of water and everything. Mm. So that was kind of cool. Ven- Venice Explain- in Italy. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> was, okay. Uh, we see Yue. Yeah. And Sokka sees Yue. She's so pretty. So aloof, Sokka. Just so, so aloof. Like, yeah, he really is so aloof mm. and cool <laughs> with everything. Right. <laughs> if anything, she was the one that was aloof. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Katara and Aang come to the Water Tribe and they give them a feast and they like welcome them. And Aang meets Paku, who's going to be his waterbending master. And Aang says, great, can you teach my friend? And Paku says, yes. And then the next day, when Aang brings Katara, 
Baku says no, because mm. in the laws of the Northern Water Tribe, women cannot waterbend. They can only use their waterbending for healing. And Katara is notably very upset. Like, just you like, know. Ah, she's probably fed up. She's like, this is still my arc. I still have to deal with sexism. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> wait, I, I didn't solve that with my brother. Yeah. The thing that's so interesting to me is like, how how did this sexism come to be? Because as far as we can see with the other nations, there doesn't seem to be much sexism. I mean, I know that in the Fire Nation, anyone can be in the army because they just needed bodies. Mm. And I mean, as far as we can see, we've seen earthbenders who are women. Like, I think in the episode with Haru, there were women on that barge who were earthbenders. Yes. Um, I don't know if there are if there were in Aang's flashbacks any female airbenders, but Yang Chen was an airbender and mm. there didn't seem to be any issue with that. So I just wonder why the water tribe has this weird like sexism in it. Like why when no other nation seems to have that particular kind of like issue, I wonder why the water tribe does. And and when you think about bending and the avatar, Korra cannot have been the first female waterbender avatar. Mm. Like there were hundreds and hundreds of avatars. She cannot have been the first female waterbender one. So, like, what did they do? What did they do when that woman popped up? Like, were they just like, we'll teach you healing, but anything else, you're SOL. Like, sorry. Like, you know, I just like, it's such a weird thing for to exist, you know? Yeah. You, you know, I just, it's just weird. I mean, I guess sexism can evolve anywhere. Um, but it's just it's just weird to me that like no other nation has this issue except the northern water tribe, not even the southern water right. tribe, the northern water tribe. <laughs> okay, I just and maybe that's the isolation that like it, does it. It has to be because yeah, that's why Grand Grand left mm. to the southern water tribe because it seems like the the way they write the northern water tribe is like they're they're very prissy and mm -hmm. they got their nose up in the air with everything mm -hmm. and very traditional yeah like it's the traditional thing is that women stay home cooking clean while the men they go out and they hunt and, and they everything. fight and, yeah so in this case it's just like the men we do the fighting water bending the women if you're a water bender you heal mm -hmm. that, that just seems to yeah. which not to knock healing i mean it's super important and right. katara uses it throughout the series, like not knocking Yugoda and her healing skills. Cause she's obviously knows what she's talking about. Right. Um, the other thing is like grand grand couldn't have said something like Katara told grand grand that they were going to the Northern water tribe <laughs> and she was going to find a water bending teacher. And grand grand was like, okay, bye. Have fun. Like she didn't <laughs> bother telling Katara like, Hey, when I was there 60 years ago, they didn't let women waterbend. It might be different. Hopefully it's different. But I'm just warning you that there may be some remnants of that. Like, she didn't bother to tell Katara that? Thanks, Grand Grand. Like, thanks yeah. for the heads up. Probably something that, like, maybe the writers didn't think of it. Yeah. <laughs> but Plot still, convenience. Like, I don't know. But, like, oh, you could have warned her. Damn. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> while all this is happening, um, Zhao is realizes that Aang is in the Northern Water Tribe. So he basically takes control of Zuko's crew and he heads up to the Northern Water Tribe and Iroh is left alone with Zuko. Mm. He's like, Zuko, do you want to go take a walk? 
Zuko doesn't respond and he goes, fine. Or you could just sit in your room and mope and be upset and like sit in the dark. Which is such a teenager thing. I could not get over it. Because like, I don't know how many times my like mom or my dad would like come into my room and be like, hey, Brielle, do you want like dinner? Like we made dinner. And I would be like, no, no, I'm in a funk. And they'd be like, okay, fine. Be miserable. Bye. Like, <laughs> I don't miss those days at all. Yeah. Um, grow up fast, kids. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, don't grow up fast. Grow fast. Enjoy your childhood. Um, I just thought that was funny. I think that the way that the the writers write the interactions between the adults and the kids and the mm. adults and the teenagers is just really funny sometimes. Um, but yeah, so Paku says he won't teach Katara and Aang is literally willing to not be taught, which like Aang is Katara's number one fan. Like, Honestly. let me say, he he's a good boy. He was like, well, if you won't teach Katara, then you won't teach me. <laughs> get those brownie points yeah but katara is like no he has to learn and she's willing to kind of i think swallow her pride a little bit to just go learn healing um and then basically uh katara challenges paku to a duel and she just goes feral and i love that i mm. absolutely love that i was like yes katara go crazy <laughs> and this is the first time we see a waterbender going against a waterbender. Yeah. And the oh, the action is amazing. Mm -hmm. And you could just see that how how much the evolution of, of Katara is mm. amazing. From where we started in the book to where she is now. You know, she started off by freezing uh, Sokka when she was trying to like, a freeze the yeah the, accidentally freezing him yeah you know like she she has to like turn around close her eyes and and swipe the water to for it to go now she's over here in the in another um the north north pole doing flips acrobats um sending uh frozen disc at yeah. Paco and everything and she she does the does she does this is not the one she does the octopus no, no she's not she's not there yet but ah uh, she's she's just so resourceful. It's like, damn, Katara, like she has really been practicing while they were traveling. Like mm -hmm. it, you could tell it shows. Yeah. You know, I also think just from like, it's just a, like a really small thing. But Katara standing on that like pole and like freezing her feet in their stance mm. is so smart because you got to have a good, strong foundation to do anything. So like I just was like and when she did that, I was like, oh, it's on <laughs> like she was ready. She was not messing around. And just her. Her, her cry of like, you can't knock me down. Mm -hmm. And then everyone is just like, yeah. <laughs> and, but that just goes to show you that you questioning where did this I idea of women do this and men do this come from? But we have people cheering on Katara. Yeah. And like some are men, some are women. Yeah. So it's like not everyone honestly believes in this. Yeah. I'm sure plenty of people do not like that that's the way that the the northern water tribe is run right um and I, I assume the only reason that they haven't left is because it's safer to stay um but then uh paku beats katara yeah and he finds her necklace which was uh kana's uh necklace grand grand's necklace and he realizes that his point of view the way that women are treated in the northern water tribe is what made her leave him and so he decides to teach katara how to waterbend which is really great um not to be a downer but 
it's only great for Katara because I don't think that Paka- that Paku is going to teach any other women after Katara. And the only reason that he's teaching Katara is because of the necklace. Like just saying, sorry to be a downer, but it's true. No, you're right in a sense. I it's for me, it felt like it was hinted that he would change his ways because after this, he goes back down to the the South Pole yeah, and see, reconnects. Yeah, to Granger. But I'm saying if Katara's necklace had never fallen off and he had never seen it, nothing would have changed. Well, yeah, nothing would have changed. Yeah. But he did change. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like, he changed and he went down to the Southern Water Tribe, but I don't think the Northern Water Tribe laws changed. I don't think that anything's different. And you just told me nothing's different in Korra, which right. is really sad. So, like, yay for Katara, but also, like... The only reason that Paku is even teaching her is because of the necklace. It has nothing to do with her skills, which is a little, like, depressing. Because, like, it should have been her skills that changed his mind, not the Grand Grand. That, right. Yeah. That is true. Also, Grand Grand dodged a bullet. Like, <laughs> good job. Like, <laughs> dodged a bullet. In, in Korra, when I said um, nothing changed, like, the relationship between North and South, mm-hmm. the those ideas kind of go away because there is a... Um, they're twins. One's a guy, one's a girl, and they're both oh, okay. strong waterbenders. So I, I guess that part changed. Okay. But just the relationship between the North and the South, oh, that hasn't changed. Okay, I see. Mm. All right. Well, um, yeah. So so that little plot point is like all nice and awesome and great. And Katara learns from a waterbending master, which is good, which is what she and Aang need. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Sokka is like being all Casanova Cupid with Yue. Um and he is the opposite of aloof. <laughs> you know. He is so cute. In my tribe, I'm a, I'm a bit of a prince myself. And uh, Katara's commentary. <laughs> a prince of what? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Prince Sokka. Continue your conversation, yeah. you know. Um, it's, just, it's, just so, it's just so cute. And, mm-hmm. and then when he sees her the next morning. And it's like, Princess Yue, good morning, blah, blah. And. She's just like, oh, you want to do an activity together? It's like that little, that little flirting. Yeah, and she likes him. She likes him. At, at no point is he ever like annoying her or anything no. like that, which is so great. Like, you know, I'm really happy that the show never really does that with any of its romantic pairings. Like, it's always pretty mutual. Yeah. You know, that the characters like each other. Like, Ang and Katara have some issues later on. But like, most of the time, the characters mutually like each other. It's never like one of them like chasing, chasing the other, which is nice. And when Sokka is just being himself, he is so smooth. Yeah, exactly. So smooth. It's like, yeah, the party was fun, but it wasn't until, you know, until you left. And then the blushing. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then... You know, Yue hears everything that happened between Paku and Grand Grand. Mm-hmm. She runs off crying. Yeah. Um. I love how Aang is just like, go get him, Tiger. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> I will say, like, one thing that I love about Sokka in this episode is he he is 100% willing to step back and mm-hmm. say goodbye. Yeah. Like, he goes to Yue with the intention of saying, like, I know that you don't like me. So I'm saying goodbye, bye. And like he was ready to just like leave her alone and and more guys need to do that. Mm-hmm. Like I think, again, that's one of the reasons that Sokka is the, you know, quote unquote backbender of the show because he treats women with so much respect and he is so genuine about his emotions and his feelings. And he may 
claim that being aloof and being cool is how you get women, but clearly being himself, being his goofy, silly, nerdy, you know, brave, you know, capable self is what does it. Right. Because UA likes him. She really, really does. And, you know, she kisses him and, you know, oh, isn't that sweet? It is sweet. Um, And then we learn that UA is engaged and that's why her and Sokka can't be together. <sighs> Ugh. Yeah. Something that's really interesting that I noticed this time around is every time there is a shot with UA, not every single time, depending on the, the frame or the um, angle of the frame, the moon is usually in the frame. Mm-hmm. Like when she's talking to Sokka on the bridge, the moon is literally right between them. Um, you know, which is foreshadowing. Um, yeah, no, but like the moon is in a lot of like images with her, like depending on the angle of the, of the camera. So that's kind of interesting and fun. You know, hindsight is everything and knowing, knowing why the moon is there, mm-hmm. we, we watching it. I thought it was, I thought it was cool how when her and Sokka are talking, it's not a full moon. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a half moon kind of. Yeah. So, you know, it's foreshadowing that she is the other half of them. It's like one's been yeah. covered, but she's right there. And that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, something that actually is interesting, though, is like Sokka is sort of like a prince. I mean, yeah. I mean, OK, so the the Northern Water Tribe, they have a chief. He's not the king. He's a chief. But Yue is a princess. So I assume that the Northern Water Tribe works on a like a monarchy type of thing or mm. a hierarchy and chief is just their word for king or emperor. Um, and then it'll get passed down. The chiefdom will get passed down to either a son or to a husband. Um, you know, like if Yue was a boy, it would be him. Mm-hmm. But the Southern Water Tribe seems to be different because Hakoda is the chief. But Sokka and Katara are not prince and princess. No. So it makes me think that it's more like something that's like a voted position or an elected or an assigned position. That's just interesting to me that like they have two different government styles, the two different tribes. Um, Like what caused that split, I guess. Um, But I mean, technically Sokka's like, I mean, his father is the chief, which is the highest position of power in the Southern Water Tribe. So even right. though he doesn't have the official title of prince... He's nothing to sneer at. Technically, right. I mean, he's he's really nothing to sneer at. Like, if, if the water tribes ever wanted to, like, combine themselves and needed to do it through marriage, he would be the person to marry. Like, just saying. <laughs> it's like, it just goes back to um, just the northern water tribe being more traditional mm-hmm. than the southern water tribe. Yeah. It's like, they're more um, free going with the way they Yeah, with the way operate. they do things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and then... Uh, Zhao basically hires some pirates to get rid of Zuko and they blow up the ship and it looks really bad, but it turns out that Zuko is okay because he and Iroh are working together on the inside to bring down Zhao. They're like inside his boat sneaking around in masks <clears throat> and stuff to bring down Zhao. But I can't help but imagine that for those few split seconds before I guess Zuko like popped out of the water or like called um, Uncle Iroh's name. Iroh must have been like, oh, no, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, no, like, this is not good. Like, my nephew is probably dead. Like, that's a fun thing to think about in the middle of the night. You cause yourself to cry. Uh, not that I'm talking about anyone in particular who did that. Not me. What? It was just a way. And I don't know if this was a, a 
a shout out to Batman. Mm-hmm. But the way Iroh says Zuko the second time, like when he runs to to um to the dock, and he goes Zuko, like he just says his name and he's like he puts his head down, head down. Um, Batman does that in in uh in the animated series, mm-hmm. not Batman the animated series, but in a animated series. I think it was Justice League. Okay, how whenever he loses a Robin, he kind of repeats their name. Aww. Um. And and this and that that came out before Avatar, so I don't know if that was like a probably like a shout out, because when when he lost um when he lost Tim Drake right well technically lost Tim Drake he he was just like jokerified he ended up saving him but That's when he it. thought he lost him he was just like he just said his name he just said Tim mm. Cause, and everything and then there was an episode of Justice League where they went they went uh to the future. So you had future Batman, future Bruce Wayne with the future Batman, Terry McGinnis. Mm-hmm. And Terry presumably died in the oh. episode. And Bruce is just like, he's, he screams Terry because like to get Terry to respond. Terry doesn't respond. And he just says Terry again. Mm-hmm. Really, He goes Terry. So I don't know if um, having Iroh do Zuko and then Zuko was like a call out to Batman. I mean, it could have been. Mm. I mean, how would I know? Mm. <laughs> but like, that's that's cool. I mean, and like you said, the the that show was before Avatar, so mm. it definitely could be a little bit of like a shout out or a nod to that other show. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that must have been sad. But it's okay because Zuko's fine. He's alive. Guys. He's alive, and he's teamed up with Iroh to kind of infiltrate Zhao's plan to attack the Northern Water Tribe. But we don't see what happens because that's the next episode. Next episode. Yeah. But this episode is really cool because you you do get to see more of the water tribe culture Mm because there's just so little that we see um, before this. Like we kind of see a little bit at the very beginning. We see a little bit more with Bato. But here is a culture that is so fully developed. um, And it's just really interesting. Although I do have a question. Like are there no coastal like water tribes like i know later on we find out about the swamp benders mm-hmm. but like nobody really knows about them so i don't necessarily count them as like a tribe tribe but like i understand why the water tribes are in the poles they are surrounded by water surrounded by snow that seems like a pretty good place to be and they're based on inuit culture so that makes sense but like what if you're a water bender who doesn't like the cold what what are you supposed to do like you just have to deal with it basically like i don't understand why there's no like coastal tribes along like the edge of the earth kingdom especially because like the trip from the north to the south is a pretty long trip and there's no in-between spot to just like pause Mm -hmm. like that just seems like bad planning on my part like for for a waterbender to go from the north to the south and only be allowed and only be able to like go to either fire nation places or earthbending places to like refuel or sleep for the night seems like you know bad planning i feel like there should be some kind of water tribe outpost or something especially because like historically civilizations start around water like mesopotamia and the indus river valley so the fact that there are no like inland water tribes around a lake or around a river or something is just really weird to me i mean i guess simplification it's just easier to have these two as the water tribes this is earth nation this is earth kingdom this is fire nation done like for simplification but like thinking like historically there probably should be water tribes that are more inland or on like a beach or something well they could be because there is that ancient 
um, Fire Nation tribe that completely isolated themselves from the war and everything. So yeah. they could be a water one. I mean, I guess so. Um, that's possible. Mm-hmm. But I'm just, I'm just saying, like, yeah, yeah. it's just, it's it just interesting to me that, like, you know, that the the show did it that way. Like, yeah, again, I see that it's, it just makes things easier to have like everything separated. Mm. But you know, speaking historically, there would. <laughs> probably be some kind of water tribe in the earth kingdom somewhere you know like by a river or a big lake or something yeah (laughs) makes sense yeah but you know i just these episodes are really cool and um there there's a lot of lead up and you know that it's coming and you know that stuff is about to go down (laughs) yeah Ooh. so uh, then we see we see it we see zhao and iroh and zhao's just like all right i got my army Mm -hmm. Set sail for the North Pole, mm-hmm. and just and just the the shot of Zhao's ship starting up the engines, the fire, and then you you just see this big ass fleet. Everyone follows. And it's like you just know. Next episode, mm, get ready. Yeah, get ready. It's it's really amazing because we see earlier in the season, we see like how powerful the fire nation is but we only see like little bits and pieces like we see how large zhao ships are compared to zuko's and we see like the blockade and everything but i think this is the first moment that we really see how truly powerful and big the fire nation is like there are so many boats in that fleet and they are all huge huge boats like it's it's really daunting like it's it's really crazy to see that and be like, oh man, this is not going to be good. Like, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah. All right. Yeah. You got um, any more notes on this episode? Um, do, do, do. Uh, I love, I wrote like, this show has people that are so ride or die and I just love it. Yeah. Like, Ag is so ride or die for Katara. Iroh is so ride or die for Zuko. Like, I just love that. I love the, the ways that the show gives us the, gives us different relationships and friendships. And, you know, I just love that. <laughs> and Aang is also very ride or die for Appa. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When Sokka in the beginning is like, can Appa fly any uh, higher? Aang is like, all right, how about we all hop on your back and use Ego's the North Pole? Yeah. <laughs> And Sokka's just like, all right, the Appa Express, um, the Sokka Express is ready. Have on, you know? <laughs> but yeah. That's yeah, right. no. Right. I guess that's good then. I think we got everything. I think so. All right. Um, I just want to say that for the next episode, we're only going to be talking about two because that's just the end of the season. And then after we finish talking about book one, we're going to take a little break and we're going to talk about some other shows and movies um to kind of give you a palate cleanser because we don't want to become a strictly avatar podcast right. i mean that would be cool but like that's not what we're planning on doing mm-hmm. so just keep an eye out for that and then once we have a few episodes where we're talking about other stuff then we'll go back into avatar and book two all right sounds mm-hmm. good yeah um also something that i want to say is you may have noticed that on our anchor page there is now a button that says listener support so if you have the means and the will to do so, please donate. You do not have to at all. You really don't. We do this for fun. We don't do this for money. No. Um, but, you know, it'd be nice to get new chairs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it will. 
it'd be nice to get new chairs. Um, but again, like this is not trying to manipulate you. This is not trying to make you feel guilty. There are so many worthy causes to donate to. We should be last on that list. Mm. Um, but you know, if you have the money to spare and you'd like to, you know, support, support us, um, please do so. You can click on that little link. Other than that, yeah, everything else is the same. <laughs> right. Cool. So guess that's good. Yeah, I guess that's it. All right. So we see you guys next episode. Yeah, bye. Bye. <laughs>